Uh, it is good to be able to continue on in our journey in Mark. I hope you're not getting bored with the gospel, the story of Jesus, that we are continuing in this. And you know, it's good because we want to see, as we've been saying over the weeks, we want to see the full picture, not just snippets here and snippets there. That's why it's good to journey as Sunday school and ladies' Bible study and we're doing on Sundays, following a whole book and going from beginning to end. And uh, today we see that Jesus chooses his 12, as Alicia read for us. And uh, I want to start with a story uh, from Cheryl Beckett. It's interesting, as you study for your message, you begin to realize uh, other things that you missed, other stories that you missed. And Cheryl Beckett was a nursing student in Indiana Wesleyan University who graduated with a degree in biology, and Cheryl felt God's calling on her life into humanitarian work for the poorest people in Afghanistan. And so for six years, she served in hospitals and clinics that treated people with eye diseases, people who were blind. And she said in her journal, I want to die to myself. What does that look like? How do I make that tangible? On August 5th, 2010, she was killed along with nine others because of a band of terrorists who attacked their vehicle while returning back from serving their own people in a clinic. Cheryl paid the ultimate price, said her father, Charles, but in truth, she paid that price every day. She lived out God's word. She adorned herself with his truth. She shared Christ to those who were hurting and suffering. Make no mistake about it, there are a host of Afghan people today who know about Jesus because she told them about him. She said, if God has put a fire inside you, then leave what comfort you have for whatever he has called you to do. It's quite a powerful statement, and that she even gave her life for it. Today we do a shift. Today our passage in Mark shifts. We move now from the Sea of Galilee, as we looked at last week, and we're taken now up into the mountains, up into the hills. And a huge multitude now has thinned out. Remember we spoke about last week. It says in our passage that those he wanted now are following him. And so this causes that distinction between, as we spoke last week, the crowd that were following Jesus solely because of healing, solely because they wanted to see the next spectacular thing, wonders and miracles. And now there are those that he summoned, as we spoke last week, to follow him. He summoned them, and they are coming with him. It says in our passage, those he wanted. And so we see in verse three, 13, he says he called to him those he wanted. Jesus always initiates. Do you know that today? We, we often, in our, in our vernacular, because everything is so self-centered in Christianity often and the way we speak, we have often said that, I found Jesus, <laughs> as if he was hiding somewhere in the corner, and then I found him. The truth of it is that you are in faith and in a relationship with Jesus Christ today because God initiated God has come to you. He always initiates. And so we see in this, he initiated but the truth of it is that there also is our response. Verse 13, again at the end, they came to him. See, there seems to be a couple things happening here in the, these disciples who came to him. 
they're now drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to him as a person. They're willing to make him their master and their Lord. There are those that followed in and followed out as we spoke last week, that there'd be a crowd and they would drop in and drop out back to life as normal. And then there are these that, that, that have been drawn to Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. They've made him their master and Lord. But you know what's amazing is they also have a great courage to be associated with Jesus. Why do I say that? They're associated with Jesus because remember now, back in Jerusalem, the religious leaders have called him a sinner and a heretic, and they are plotting to kill him. And yet they are excited to still be associated with Jesus. They want to be with him They're falling in love with him. They want to know more about him. And so I guess the question all throughout this passage today, there are personal questions we have to ask ourselves. Are we excited about Jesus? Do we love Jesus? Are we willing to be associated with the cross of Christ and the cause of Christ, even in a day when they're making us out to be fools and idiots and crazy and fanatics? That we are willing to say, I belong to Jesus and the cause of Christ. And we can bring it down to a personal level. I belong to the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene. Are we ashamed of that? Perfectly not. And so we see from this beginning of our verses, we see that Jesus selects his 12. Verse 14 So he now calls them apostles. Not all the versions have that. Some of them use the word only disciple. Some others bring out the word apostle. See, we all start out as disciples. Disciple means a person with discipline, a person who is willing to learn, a person who's willing to grow and mature in the fullness of God. And then here we see that Jesus is looking for the 12, and he calls them apostles. Now, the word apostle means a person who is sent out, a person who is now his messenger. And so he separates these 12. Why 12? Why not 11? Why not 13? Well, the truth of it is, they said that this is very powerful because Israel now sees that God is doing a new work because it is now the new Israel in its embryo. Jews knew there were 12 tribes of Israel. They failed terribly. And the prophets had spoken that there would come a day when there would be a restoration. The time would come when their God would turn everything around and he would make things new. And so Jesus calls the 12 of his followers. And as the Jews are standing there and listening, and even these 12, they're realizing that God is saying the restoration has begun. I'm starting a new thing here. See, it's not just about... uh, You know, I just find Jesus, and Jesus finds me, and that's all it's about. That every time somebody comes to faith, it is a part of that restoration. It's a part of a a life being restored and changed. And so this is the restoration, what Mark is saying, that we've all been waiting for. And it's happening at every level, spiritual, physical, social, and it will eventually even politically And so, the other thing we see about 12, do you realize that Jesus needed 12? Now, God doesn't need anything, right? We believe that. But in this situation, we see that Jesus decided that he needed 12. 
These are the ones that he'll pour his message in. This is that restoration of Israel. And he's going to pour his message and his life into them. So when he returns to the Father, they carry on. And I want to say to you that we are living in a day where the danger, especially in North American Christianity, that it's all individualism. It's all just about me and Jesus. We've preached about this before. It's just me and Jesus. That's all that matters. Now hear me right. Individually, personally, you need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you come to faith. It's not because grandma went to church and brought me to Sunday school. You come to faith personally. You have to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that now for weeks. Praise God for that. And so we've emphasized that problem is, is we've emphasized that to such an extent that we have forgotten about the power of community. We have forgotten about the need of church. Do you realize today that there's 40% of evangelical Christians who say they have no need for the church? That is an oxymoron. That does not even exist. I don't believe today that you can have faith in Jesus Christ in one breath and then turn around and say, you have no use for his bride. I'd like to see you go to a wedding and say, I'm only here to celebrate the groom. (laughs) I don't like the bride. I don't want nothing to do with the bride. I don't think the bride and groom would want you to be a wedding guest, right? And so we see he chooses 12 because it tells us we live in community. We need fellowship. We need fellow workers in order for God's kingdom to come forth on earth. If Jesus needed 12, what makes you think that you can get along by yourself? Terrible, terrible error. And so what did he call these 12 to? I like this first statement, that they might be with him. With him. I'll go with him. I just think of that. I'll go with him all the way, that great hymn of the church. Jesus now devotes himself. He, he was doing this teaching of the crowds. He was up in Jerusalem, and now he concentrates on the training of these 12, on the instructing of these 12, on the mentoring of these 12, because soon they're going to take on this role of leadership. And you know what's interesting is we just came through Christmas, right? And one of the greatest promises, especially this year with COVID, is that God is with us. Emmanuel. I've said that every year, but this year it meant even more to me. Emmanuel, God is with me. And you know, when you come to the end of Matthew, Matthew emphasizes that Jesus promises that he's going to be with us, right? And not just for a day, but he's going to be with us till the end, right to the end, Jesus is going to be with us. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But you know what's beautiful here in Mark? And I think this is a question for us today. Do you want to be with him? See, it's one thing for God to promise, Emmanuel, God with me. It's one thing for Jesus to promise as he commissions us, I will be with you right to the ends of the earth. The question I believe, as Mark does, for the church is, do you want to be with Jesus? Is it just a Sunday thing? Is it just when you have a need? Or is it 24-7 that I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be with him. And we see there's that challenge here. The beauty of this is is this idea of worship and mission, because in a moment we'll see the mission that's given them. But there's this 
two coming together, that the two need to be together. That is the balance that is needed in Christianity because we have people who love mission, 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 and nothing wrong with mission. That's what God's called us to. But you can't do mission unless you've spent time with him. And there are those that are with him, with him, with him, with him, with him, with him. And don't ask me to do that. (laughs) And see, those are the two dangers that the enemy will use on us because what we need to be together is we need to spend time with him. We need to have our daily time of worship. We need to come for corporate worship. We need to spend time in his word and prayer and all of that. We need to be with him, but we're with him so that we can go and do what he's called us to do and be what he's called us to be, his witnesses, his mission field. And so the two must go in hand in hand. You know, they realize that the task of being with Jesus is going to be harder than just hanging out with him. (laughs) Because now being with him means that they're to live with Jesus, travel with him, converse with him, learn from him, and walk with him. And now it also means that they're going to toil in his ministry, and they're going to experience the harassment of the crowds an opposition, as we'll look at next week, and they will experience bitter suffering for being with him. And then he sends them out, right? He sends them out with the same mission that he has always had. They proclaim the same message. They go forth in his authority and power. We know on the day of Pentecost that the disciples were told to wait. For what? The empowerment of God to be his witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we were praying for today. The power of the Holy Spirit to be upon us, to be filled and full of him. And so Jesus says that I am wanting you to go forth with this message of the good news, but I'm also wanting to empower you and give you the authority that is needed. My friends, we are not powerless. No too many amens there. We are not powerless. He gave them that message, the same message that John the Baptist, remember when we were in the beginning of this gospel, John the Baptist proclaimed it, Jesus proclaimed it, this is the good news, my friends, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. The king has come, the king has arrived. That's the message that we are to carry forth. But then we're told, now this is the part a lot of us don't want to talk too much about, we're told that we have all authority to drive out demons. Now see, in other parts of the world, they have no problem with that because they're dealing with it every day. And see, we're in a, in a culture where all that is hidden, and we call it by all other names. <laughs> but basically, I believe when we can drive out demons, there is this reality that we can set the captives free in Jesus' name. That we can begin to pray over people with addictions, with, with all kinds of issues, and they can be set free. We, when we pray for people, they can be healed. Uh, you know, there's that believing again that Christ has given us the authority and the power to spread forth his kingdom. And not even demons can stop what God wants to do. See, really, demons here represent that it won't be easy, that there will be conflict, and there will be battles, and there will be struggles. 
See, demons here, they oppose God's people and God's purposes. That's what I really think that we need to realize. They will oppose God's people. See, now here, the Lord just gave me this. Hold on with me here, listen. So when I speak ill of a brother or sister in Christ, what realm am I moving in? That's a serious idea right there. Because it is the enemy who opposes the brethren. See, this is where now my thoughts, my speech, the way I talk about people, all of it affects who I am in Christ. It's affected by that. That I am not here. Now, there's a proper place to critique in a godly manner and to question and to reason together over things. It's not saying that we're all cookie cutter, that we all think the same and believe the same. There is unity in the midst of diversity. The church is very diverse. And that's how we're supposed to learn what it means to be the 12, to come together in the diversity of what does that look like and we flesh it out. That is not what I'm talking about. But when we're speaking ill of brothers and sisters in Christ, it is the enemy who opposes God's people. And it's the enemy who puts in roadblocks that tries to stop what God is trying to do. But you know, I'm so thankful today that Jesus Christ gives us the victory. But we must not shrink back. We need to move forward in his power and his authority. How do they cast out demons? Well, I'll tell you one thing. First of all, they need to resist evil wherever it is at all times in all ways. See, I have no right to say that I am moving in power and authority and have the power to cast out demons if I'm dabbling in sin and evil. Doesn't work. This is the reason the importance of holiness, of godliness, of integrity, of a heart set right with God, that I am a person now that God's power and authority can be in me. And as James says, it is the prayer of a righteous man that is effectual. See, we like the idea that I'm going to pray for somebody and I'm going to anoint them and that's just going to be, God's just going to answer. The scripture says it is the prayer of a righteous man and I would add woman that is effectual. And so, first of all, we must resist evil in our own lives and then we see that then they are able to cast out and see the captives released. Do you realize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God, and he has all authority, and he has now bestowed that authority on these 12. And the truth is this morning, if you are in Christ, he wants to bestow his authority and power on you. Probably already have it. Do we exercise it? See, in, G- in, in Jewish thinking, to be a commissioned, impossible, uh, a commissioned apostle was to have clout. It was to be given authority. So now you went in your master's name, and you had his same power, and you had his same authority. And so now you had clout. And that's what God is saying to us as we go forth as his witnesses, as his apostles, that we have been given clout. The master has sent us, and he has empowered us with his authority. Now, Think about it. I don't think fishermen at that time thought they had a lot of clout. I, I don't think the zealots at that time thought they had a lot of clout. I, I don't think the tax collector thought that he had a lot of clout. 
And Jesus takes these 12 and is sending them out now with power and authority. Do you know one of the beautiful words that's spoken to me this week as I was studying this passage is the actual word here is Jesus fashions us or refashions us. I think of the potter and the clay. I think of this idea of making us into something new and different for him. And then he renames us. We see these 12 men proclaimed there. And so he takes them and he refashions them. And then he even gives them a new name. Now, I know some people think I'm crazy. Well, maybe I am. But there was a point in my life when I prayed, Lord, what's my new name? And God's given me a new name. It's a, it's a Hebrew name. It's between me and the Lord. And it really wasn't powerful for me when God named me. And I just, that's the sidebar. I mean, maybe that's something this week you want to pray about and say, God, what name would you give me? And so Peter, he gives him the name what? The Rock. That's a pretty good name, especially when we know The Rock now <laughs> in movies and that. What's that? Pebble, yeah. He'll be a rock. And then he calls the sons of Zebedee the sons of thunder. Can you imagine being called that? The sons of thunder. And so it's beautiful here to see that Jesus wants to refashion us and rename us. And I want to say to you, Jesus is the one, if you are in Christ, Jesus is the one now who defines you. Not your environment, not your culture, not your past, not your profession, not your mistakes, not even your family. Jesus is the one who now defines us and who we are. And that's an amen in my life. It changed everything for me. But you know, as we looked at the name of these 12, I wouldn't have picked them. <laughs> are those the 12 you would have picked? Are they the 12 the world would have picked? I don't think so. Quite honestly, I don't think so. And we joked on Wednesday night, but there, many people have referred to them as the band of misfits. So the band of misfits, the motley group, the motley crew. Four of, four of them were fishermen, one was a hated tax collector, another a member of a radical and violent party, zealot. Now, here's the interesting thing. Matthew, the tax collector, got into bed with the Romans, right? And the other member is a zealot who would actually hate the Romans and would have persecuted the tax collectors. Now, that's two that Jesus put together. Imagine what that looks like in those early days of traveling together. The other six, we really don't know a lot about them, but one thing we do know, they were laymen. There was not a preacher in the mixed. There was not even an expert of the scriptures in the mixed. Yet with these simple men, Jesus establishes his church that you and I are a part of today because of 12. And so as we bring this to a close today, God has faith in humanity. That's what we learn from this passage. Do you know that? That God has faith in fallen humanity. That's what we can see here. That God puts faith in you and God puts faith in me. And I think one of the most powerful things that if we can get this as a church, as we work with children and youth in Sunday school, is God does not see where people are at. 
God sees them at their full potential. God sees what they can become. I want to be part of a church that looks at me and doesn't see me right now for my mistakes and my failures and my mess, but knows that I can become something better with God and can see me at my full potential. Who would have thought that I would be where I am today? Jesus sees you at your full potential. He sees what you can be with him, with the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. It's not so much, I like what somebody said one time, it's not so much, do you believe in Jesus? That's important. But here's the question this morning. Do you know that Jesus believes in you? That he wants to give you all power and authority. He believes in you. I end with this. The stained glass apostles. Now, some of us have had the opportunity to be in Europe and to enter in these magnificent cathedrals. Il Duomo in Milan where we was our area where we lived. We had gone there multiple times. And, and the only problem with these wonderful um, places is that they typically have stained glass uh, windows of the apostles, and they're usually put at the highest and the best and the classiest and the most religious place in, the, in, in that because they are the ascendant of all Christian masters. Well, that's furthest from the truth, isn't it? Nothing could be further from the truth today that they are not otherworldly, they are not nearly divine, they are not the cream of the crop among men. They're not the highest, the noblest, and the best. They're not the most educated, the most highly skilled, and even the most gifted, humanly speaking. The truth is, they basically are distinguished by one thing. One thing in common. They're ordinary. That's it. They're ordinary men. They're a motley group, a band of misfits. You couldn't pull them together in any other way but God. God was doing it for his own purposes. They're ordinary in every way. As we'll read in scripture, they were prone to all the sins, all the errors in judgment, the bad attitude, the lapses of faith, and the failures. But as ordinary men and women, they were given the highest calling the highest commission ever held by any human being. And as a believer today, you stand in their heritage and you have that same calling and great commission. None of them turned in a resume. None of them went looking for it. It came to them, as he said, but they were the ones he chose. They were the ones he wanted. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Someone is here today. God is calling you to something higher, something greater, closer to him. He has called you to a higher calling. He has called you into something new, something fresh that he wants to do in the midst of COVID. And the enemy is telling you you're not good enough, you're not equipped enough, you're inadequate. Wrong. God believes in you. God sees you at your full potential. God has only good for you, and he's trying to bring you into it. 
and out of what you're in. I like that statement, don't you? Jesus didn't call the equipped. He, he equipped the called. He makes what is, I like what somebody said here, he makes what is useless, useful. That's a good new expression, you uselessly. <laughs> he makes what was useless, useful. What was fruitless, fruitful. What was painful, gainful. In fact, making the impossible possible is God's specialty. So what did they have? You've heard it before. The church has said it. They were willing. They were available. That's all God is asking for many of us. Some of the greatest historians in the church, some of the greatest people that have done the greatest work of God, have not been anything special. They've been ordinary people. God usually chooses the ordinary so his power might be manifested. But they were available and they were willing. Are you willing today? I'll end with this. I like this statement. You know, God can use anyone. You've heard it before. No excuses. Do you seriously think God can't use you? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was a ugly, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stuttering problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson had long hair and was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, Jeremy and <clears throat> Timothy were too young, David had an affair and was a murderer, Elijah was suicidal, Isaiah preached naked, Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. So my friends, there's no excuses. No excuses. I don't know how you read this, but that's all truthful and it's in here. God wants to show us today that he believes in you and he believes in me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. First of all, we need to spend time with him. God can never use us to our full potential if we haven't spent time with him. But as we spend time in worship and spend time with him, he has a role for us to do. He has a calling for us to do as the, as the church of Jesus Christ. It is to go forth with that message, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's always been here, waiting. And he's also wanting us to move in his authority and in his power and to see people released and set free. Will you stand with us this morning as we sing this song? If God is speaking to you and you want to come stand across the front just as a sign to the body of Christ, but more importantly as a sign to the church, but more importantly as a sign to Jesus, that you say, Lord, I don't know what you would have me to do or what it's all about, but I'm available today and I'm willing. And I believe we can stand across here and not get too close to each other. <laughs> and obey the move of the Spirit, 
And so as we sing this song, if that's your desire today, I encourage you to come, and then we'll close in prayer.